This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. Today is Wednesday, December 8th. I'm Stan Friedman, and this is Franchise Today. Well, today is a really special day for me. This is an interview that I can't believe I've gotten the opportunity to conduct and deliver. It's with somebody that I've idolized my entire franchise career, along with millions of others worldwide who have benefited both from his books and his teachings. My guest today is Michael E. Gerber. Everyone who knows small business knows Michael E. Gerber, innovator, entrepreneur, the mega-selling author of 29 e-myth books, recognized as must-reads for small business by the New York Times, Business Week, Inc. Magazine, Fortune, Forbes, and Wired. The Wall Street Journal named the e-myth the number one business book of all time, having sold millions of copies and has now been applied in 145 countries in 29 languages and is taught at 118 universities. The originator in 1997 of the small business coaching industry with his founding of the Michael Thomas Corporation, the e-myth Academy, e-myth Worldwide and Michael E. Gerber Companies, and since that time has served over 100,000 small business clients. His dream to transform the state of small business worldwide, and he certainly made his mark in franchising. My guest today, Michael E. Gerber, for part one of a two part interview coming up in two minutes or less. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, franchisors of restaurants, bars, grills, and taverns, and multi-unit franchisees, listen up. This message is for you. Atmosphere TV wants to help you cut costs on overpriced cable TV for your business and either replace it completely or partially if sports programming is essential at your locations. What Atmosphere TV provides are 100% free programming options with more than 50 channels of highly engaging and entertaining programming that is audio optional and guaranteed to please your customers and even increase their average ticket per visit. So here's how it works. Atmosphere hooks you up with an Apple TV HD receiver loaded with more than 50 channels of fully licensed, no cost to you, fun and lifestyle programming. These channels include Chive and Red Bull TV. TV, bloopers, superhuman feats, and an array of viewing options that don't require sound to be enjoyed. And this offer is not just limited to restaurants or bars. No, any business with a TV screen in its waiting room can benefit from Atmosphere's free programming offer as well. So what are you waiting for? Cut the cord on overpriced cable and get Atmosphere TV with its 100% free, engaging, and entertaining programming options. Keep your guests happy while they wait to see you. Instead of watching the clock and their wait times, chiropractors, doctors, dentists, auto repair shops, anyone with TVs in your waiting rooms, jump onto this amazing offer today. And if you text the word FRANCHISE to 474747, Atmosphere will waive the $100 setup fee for the Apple TV HD receiver that they'll ship to you as well at no cost. Atmosphere TV, changing the way businesses view television. Find them online at atmosphere.tv and remember it text FRANCHISE 
to 474747 for the no-charge Apple receiver. Cut the cord and get rid of cable today with Atmosphere TV. Regarded by his avid followers as the thought leader of entrepreneurship worldwide, Michael E. Gerber has been called by Inc. Magazine the world's number one small business guru, a highly sought-after speaker and strategist who has single-handedly been accountable for the transformation of small business worldwide. He's here to tell us all about it, and he's here right now. Michael E. Gerber, welcome to Franchise Today. Delighted, delighted, delighted to be here, Stan. Thank you. Well, I'm delighted that you are here. This is something of an opportunity for me to not have just a typical franchisor type interview today, but to be a fanboy because I've been a fan of the E-Myth and Michael E. Gerber since 1988 when I began my career in franchising and have been living it and breathing it ever since. So this is more than an interview for me today, Michael, and I thank you so much for allowing it. I'm thrilled, Stan. Thank you. Thank you for your passion. So, Michael, as I said previously, I've been a student of the E-Myth for my entire franchise career, but it was only in preparation for this interview that I discovered that you wrote this book well into your business career at 41 years old. What was the previous experience or experiences that prepared you for this portion of your life and journey? All of the stuff that I did in all of those early years that had absolutely nothing directly to do with the business consulting field that I entered into when I was 41 years of age. And prior to that, what paths did your life take you down? What were some of those occupations early on? I like to think of myself, Stan, as a wandering Jew. Um, I was I was a saxophone player. I started studying the saxophone at the age of 11 with a saxophone teacher whose name was Al Chesner. That was in New Jersey. My family then decided to move to California where my uncle, Al Gary, had opened a furniture store. And he'd opened one furniture store and then he replicated that to open a second furniture store and then a third. And my father was a salesman and Al invited him to come join him to work in his furniture business. And so we all migrated by train to California in those very, very early years. And I then switched my saxophone teacher from Al Chesner in New Jersey to a gentleman by the name of Merle Johnston, who was teaching saxophone in Hollywood, California. And Al said to Merle, Merle, you've got to teach this kid because he has something special. I think you'll see that when you first hear him. So my mother and my father drove me from Anaheim, where we settled in California, to meet with this icon of saxophone teachership, Merle Johnston in Hollywood, California, and introduced me to the teacher. And the teacher asked my mother and father to remain in the waiting area and took me into his studio and asked me to play this. And he put a book of exercises on the music stand. And I played this. And he said, put your horn away. And he walked me out to my parents and said, I'll teach Michael. But here's the thing. He's going to have to come here by bus, obviously, from Anaheim to Hollywood, California. And there are three buses he's going to have to take to get here. And he's going to have to do that on his own. You don't get to bring him here. At the same time, I'm taking an hour with him in my lesson. And I'm going to ask him and require of him that he practice what I teach him three hours a day, five days a week. If he fails to do that, I will retire him as my student. So what do you think? And my parents stood there and said, well, let us think about it. 
And I said, no, I want to do it. And so we decided then and there that I would take the bus to Hollywood, California, to Merle Johnston's studio at the corner of Melrose and Western and begin to study with Merle. That was an experience that shaped the rest of my life, Stan. Merle Johnston did require me in that hour to practice exactly what he taught me to practice. He said, Michael, you don't make music music finds you. Your job is to prepare for it. Your job is to practice exactly what I tell you to practice, exactly how I tell you to practice, exactly for how long I tell you to practice. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. In short, I like to think Merle Johnston was preparing me for Ray Kroc at McDonald's. (laughs) I guess. I mean, we're talking execution, execution, execution here, are we not? <laughs> and I practiced and I practiced and I practiced and I practiced. 11 years old, 12 years old, 13 years old, blah, 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 blah. I stayed with Merle until I was 20 years of age. I then went to a clarinet teacher because Merle said I had to learn the clarinet in order to play in the bands because that's where saxophone players made a living in the bands. And you had to play multiple instruments to do that. And long and the short of it is, I was a saxophone player. I then learned how to sell shoes in a shoe store. I then learned how to frame houses in a construction firm. I then learned how to sell insurance in an insurance company. I then learned how to sell encyclopedias with an encyclopedia company, and on and on and on and on. And all the time that I was doing that, I was practicing what you might say, meditation, practicing the spiritual side of my life, et cetera, and so forth, while I was practicing the economic side of my life. And all of that led me to be this weird concoction of a guy, a hippie, a beatnik, a a, a wandering Jew, and so forth and so on, when I ended up visiting my sister and brother-in-law in Palo Alto, California, many years later, before I was going to go to Mendocino County to become a contractor, a framing contractor, after I'd learned how to frame houses by another guy just like Merle Johnston, taught me how to work with my hands rather than with my mouth. So I've had an absolutely bewildering background of experiences, but every single one of those experiences, Stan, put me into the world, you might say, of a teacher who raised the expectations of my performance to a level that are rarely ever achieved or even aspired to by most people, constantly, each and every time. And I think of that as accidents, but as divine accidents, because it was no accident that I found myself in front of these great teachers, great teachers, great teachers, whether it be teaching me how to sell encyclopedias, teaching me how to practice the saxophone, teaching me how to frame a house, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. At that point, at the age of 39, I found myself in Palo Alto, California, visiting my brother-in-law and my sister, and he owned a small advertising agency there. And he asked me if I would come visit with one of his clients. One of his clients was having an absolutely difficult time of converting the leads my brother-in-law's ad agency was creating for his new high-tech startup. And I said to my brother-in-law, 
I don't know what I can do about that. I don't know anything about business. And I certainly don't know anything about, in quotes, high tech. So how can I help Bob, your client? And my brother-in-law said, don't worry about it, Michael. Let's spend an hour with him and let's find out. I said, sure. So Ace takes me to meet Bob. Bob says, hello. Ace says, goodbye. Ace, my brother-in-law. So he was going to take off for an hour. And Bob and I sit down, look at each other warily. And Bob asked me the natural first question anybody would ask. What do you know about my business, Michael? And I said, nothing, Bob. And so Bob said, well, what do you know about my product, Michael? And I said, less than that, Bob. So Michael, if you don't know anything about my business, and you don't know anything about my product, how can you help me? And I said, I haven't a clue, Bob. But Ace thinks I can. He's taken off. We've got an hour to figure it out. So let's get started. Now, I started that conversation with two assumptions. First assumption was, I don't know anything about business. The second assumption was, Bob does because he owns one. And so the only thing left for me to do was to ask Bob questions. And that's what I started to do. Questions, 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 questions. What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? And the more questions I asked Stan, the more it became absolutely transparent to me that Bob didn't know anything about business. He didn't know anything about his business because every single answer he gave me was anecdotal. And as that happened, I also began to see that I did know something about business, that selling is a system. And I knew that because I'd learned how to sell encyclopedias. And I knew that because I learned how to sell insurance. And I knew that because of every single thing that I practiced up to this point in time, there was a method to it. And if there is no method to it, I couldn't learn how to do it. And so it came obvious to me that there was no method to it in Bob's business. And Bob asked me then, of course, the leading question, well, can you create this selling system for me, Michael? And of course, I said, but of course I can, Bob. When Ace picked me up, he said, what happened? I said, Bob hired me. And Ace said, to do what? You don't know anything about his business. You don't know anything about high tech. And I said, that's what I told you before we got here. But I discovered I did know something about business, that selling is a system and Bob doesn't have one and I'm going to create one for him. And that's what I began to do. And Stan, that was the birth of Emith. What an amazing story. And it brings evidence to the statement that I've heard said for years, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And it would seem in your life that didn't happen just once or twice, but multiple times all the way back to the sacks. Absolutely. Isn't that remarkable? It is, sir. It certainly is. I'll tell you what let's do, Michael. Let's take a quick break right here. And when we come back, we'll pick up where we left off with Michael E. Gerber, the iconic author and creator of the E-Myth. Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. We are all familiar with Vistage, YPO, and EO. Well, now comes Zorforum, a somewhat similar type of executive group, but this one comes with a twist. Zorforum groups are exclusively for franchisors. Imagine a peer group for sharing and networking on a platform built exclusively for franchise executives. Zorforum members are afforded unparalleled access to best practices and some of the brightest minds within the franchising world through regular meetings and a dedicated communications platform. 
In this post-COVID world, a franchise-specific mastermind or peer group is an endeavor worth making time for. Zorforum groups of 6 to 10 will bring leaders together that are in similar situations, but with exclusivity in terms of their competitive set so that each can openly help others benefit from their respective knowledge, perspective, and experience with no fear of competitive loss. Network, learn, strategize, and remain motivated along your journey. Join a peer group, not just any peer group. Join the only one designed for emerging franchisors. Join Zorforum. Learn more at Zorforum.com. That's www.Zorforum.com. And this fascinating conversation continues with iconic author Michael E. Gerber. So bring us forth from there. Obviously, we didn't go right from Bob's business to the book. What other stops in between that led to picking up the pen and authoring this phenomenal work of art? Well, first there was Bob, then there was Judy, then there was Mary, then there was Jim, then there was Fred and Sam that began to work with all of Ace's clients because, as I saw immediately that what was true about Bob's business was true about everybody's business. No one had a selling system. Now, understand when I say a selling system, I'm not just talking about benchmarks. I'm not just talking about documentation. I'm talking about the literal scripts by which something is sold. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. Now you do it. No, not that way. This way, literally. Indeed, literally, absolutely, significantly, literally. Because without that literal script, and I say script uniformly, because how I flip that burger is as much a script as how I say good morning, which is a script. A script, a script, a script, a script. In short, Every business format franchise is a scripted business model that is absolutely designed to produce a specific result in a specific way in a highly specialized, market-driven, purpose-driven, eclectic, almost religious phenomenon that enables that brand to come alive and be scaled, replicated faithfully, 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 again and again and again and again, just as it's capable in the single unit to be replicated faithfully every single hour of every single day. This is how we do it. This is who we are. This is how we do it. This is who we are. Take those two phrases. This is how we do it. This is who we are. And you'll immediately understand what differentiates the greatest growing franchisors from everybody else on the planet. So when we see franchise organizations who, on the face of it, Michael, my assumption would be that a franchised business should have a better chance for success because they do have a business format. They do have a system, whether it's being executed properly or not, or if it's being executed properly, but it wasn't properly conceived, it could be problematic. But it would seem to me that businesses that are franchised have a better chance to succeed because fundamentally they are beginning with a system, albeit maybe not the perfect one, but they are a leg up better than those that are independent. Would that be correct? Well, it would be correct to the degree it's true. Now, hear me. I, I, I don't want to offend anybody listening to us today, but in fact, I will. It's absolutely essential that while one would presume that to be true, ergo, a franchise is a franchise, it's a franchise, it has its very specific identity. I would say most of the franchises in the world 
are superficial franchises. They're not the true replication of the great business format franchises, like the one that I speak to every single moment of every single time, every single day, McDonald's. And I constantly refer to that company, no matter who I was talking to, no matter what their industry, no matter what the profession, by saying to them, to the degree you explicate what you're about to do as effectively as Ray Kroc did in his first McDonald's hamburger stand, to the degree you understand and interpret the great idea that he performed eloquently in that hamburger stand, to the degree you take your brand and officiate that brand through the practices that must be replicable faithfully again and again and again in the meanest kid's hands, the meanest novice's hands to produce the most exquisitely professional, identifiable, branded, and outcome to the degree you do that. You can succeed no matter what your industry, because you will understand the secret underlying it. Between one moment in my life and another moment in my life, Stan, I stop at a McDonald's to buy a hamburger. Hear me. This is early, 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 early on in my career. I was being troubled by what it was I saw in all of my brother-in-law's clients' companies, that not only didn't they have a selling system, they didn't have a management system. Not only didn't they have a management system, they didn't have a marketing system. Not only didn't they have a marketing system, they didn't have a lead generation system or a lead conversion system or a financial modeling system or a people development system. And I couldn't relate to it then. I'm trying to understand how to put the pieces together. And that's when I walked into McDonald's. And I walked into McDonald's not with the idea that I was going to discover the answer to my question, but the moment I walked into McDonald's, I did. And it struck me the minute I saw this store inside as a customer waiting to be waited on, I immediately understood what I was looking for. By God, I stepped out. I can do that, I said to myself. I can create the McDonald's of small business development services. And when I saw that I could create the McDonald's of small business development services, I saw it from way, way, way above myself as whomever I was, the entity that I was representing, no matter what it was and how it was being done, it was skills, not skill-centric. It was not people-centric. It was not marketing-centric. It was not management-centric. It was business development-centric. I realized I had to go to work on my business to truly design my business in a way that would enable me to scale it exponentially to touch the lives and hearts and futures of every single small business owner on the planet. And that's when I discovered my dream, my vision, my purpose, and my mission. My dream, my vision, my purpose, my mission. The first four steps in the process, Michael, am I correct? The four personalities of an entrepreneur, the dreamer, the thinker, the storyteller, and the leader. The dreamer has a dream, the thinker has a vision, the storyteller has a purpose, and the leader has a mission. That's what entered into my consciousness when in 1977, I left my brother-in-law's advertising agency to start my own company. He brought somebody in to replace me to do what I was doing 
in his ad agency. And that guy asked me where I was going. And I told him to start this firm, this what I called business development firm. And he said, I'm going with you. I'm not staying here. And he did. And his name was Tom. And Tom and I created the Michael Thomas Corporation, a business development firm. And Stan, it was the very first business coaching company in the world. How many years did you work together with Thomas in building this corporation? And what were some of the hallmark names that we might recognize that benefited from some of those early years of your work? Well, I worked with Tom until Tom and I parted company about seven years later. I started with Tom in 1977. I then changed the Michael Thomas Corporation to Gerber Business Development Corporation. And then with the publication of my very first book, The E-Myth Academy, and then Emith Worldwide, and now Michael E. Gerber Companies Worldwide, and effectively the transformation of everything that we have learned to do over those years have all been designed by the original dream in 1977. The dream in 1977, as I expressed it, was to transform the state of small business worldwide. The vision in 1977, as I expressed it, for the Michael Thomas Corporation was to invent the McDonald's of small business development services. The purpose back then in 1977 was that every small business owner could successfully create a company as successful and as manageably replicable as a McDonald's franchisee. And my mission way back then in 1977 at the outset of the Michael Thomas Corporation was to invent the business development system upon which our dream, our vision, our purpose, and our mission would depend. And so in those early years in 1977, I had a dream, I had a vision, I had a purpose, I have a mission, and they have stayed with me constantly every year since. In today's world in franchising, at the legacy level, at the large enterprise level, where many brands that had a founder who had that vision that you had in 1977 is long gone, what do those brands do to preserve that piece of culture, that vision, that personality that created that brand's opportunity to become the franchise that it is today? Well, the truth of that matter is, Stan, they live it, they breathe it, they would die without it. In short, my dream has stayed with me every single day ever since that day, up until this very moment of time as I'm speaking to you here. It's the driver of everything that I do. Every mistake I've made has been a product of something that in fact nullified that dream because I got distracted by thinking it was something other than that. Nullified the vision because I became distracted by something other than that nullified the purpose because I became distracted by something other than that, nullified the mission, must I say it again, because I became distracted by something other than that. In short, the unity of mind is so absolutely essential to creating a great growing enterprise. I wrote about it in my latest e-myth book called Beyond the E-Myth, The Evolution of an Enterprise 
from a company of one to a company of 1,000 that resides within that and resides within Michael E. Gerber companies is this process I call the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path, I'm suggesting, is what must live at the heart of every brand new franchise company and every company that is a franchise company today. And that Eightfold Path is very distinctly defined as Number one, your dream. Number two, your vision. Number three, your purpose. Number four, your mission. Number five, the job. And the job is the client fulfillment system. Number six, the practice. And the practice is the three-legged stool of lead generation, lead conversion, client fulfillment. The lead generation system, the lead conversion system, and the client fulfillment system. And that is your franchise prototype. The franchise prototype is critical to the creation of a vast growing franchise enterprise. So following the practice is step seven in the eightfold path, and that is the business. And I define a business simply as up to seven turnkey practices. See practice number one over here, practice number two over there, practice number three over there and there, practice number, you follow me, replicating faithfully that very first practice. Practice times seven plus a turnkey management system. That defines your business prototype. The final is the enterprise. And the enterprise is nothing other than up to seven turnkey businesses, ergo 49 turnkey practices, plus a turnkey management system, plus a turnkey leadership system. Every single franchisor on the planet, to the degree they follow this regimen, religiously, and that's the key term for how do you remember this, religiously, follow it religiously, then and only then will they understand how McDonald's became the 40,000 plus stores, faithfully replicating the original vision that Ray Kroc had all those years ago. Which I think takes us back to the very beginning of the conversation today and your comment about not every franchisor is true to the business format of franchising. And they don't, I believe, prove their concept. Proof of concept to me is essential, is it not? You can build a system around something that's on shaky legs and it doesn't matter what the system is looking like then if it's not on a fundamentally sound foundation. Would you address that? Well, understand even the term proof of concept misses it by a mile. We're not interested in the concept. We're interested only in the reality. Concept becomes converted into a reality through practice. I learned that studying the saxophone. The concept of jazz only becomes a reality after hours upon hours upon hours upon hours of religious practice of the essential ingredients that are required for music to find itself within you. As Merle said, you don't make music, Michael. Music finds you. Your job is to practice. And as you practice, practice, practice what I'm going to give you to practice, the regimen I'm going to give you to practice. Ultimately, the sound will arise. And you'll say, where did that come from? (laughs) Because when it comes, 
Christians. It wasn't you who created it. It was the generation's practice that made it possible for that music to evolve. That music evolves as a product of the religious dedication you provided, activated to turn a concept into a reality. So proof of concept only comes about through rigorous practice. And then that becomes the question, practicing what? And it's not practicing general knowledge. It's practicing special knowledge. Special knowledge is how we do it here. Not how it's done generally anywhere else, but how we do it here. And how we do it here specifically is the earmark, you might say, of our brand. How we do it here is what differentiates us from the rest of the world. That's the only proof of concept that is worth pursuing. That is, the fact of how we do it here differentiates us successfully from everybody else on the planet. Ergo, a brand. The brand comes alive through practice. Practicing what? Practicing special knowledge applied in a special, very, very disciplined, activated manner. That becomes the brand promise, doesn't it? It is the brand promise. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is how we do it. This is what happens to you. So essentially, the consumer is guaranteeing themselves a specific result by choosing to buy from you. Because every single time they show up, exactly what they came for happens in exactly the reason they came for it. Isn't that extraordinary? You know, I often quip with training franchisees about the importance of the consistency of experience. And I just share a little question with them that brings it all into focus. If I can share it with you, I think you'll agree. How many steps do you think a consumer would need to take through the threshold of a Walmart's store if it had a Neiman Marcus sign in front of it before they realized they were in the wrong place. <laughs> it wouldn't take me one step to know that I'm not in a Neiman, even though the sign may have said it was, but that's to the point you've just made. You can't fool the public. The consistency of experience needs to be lockstep with expectations, not the other way around. Michael, those first four personality traits, the dream, the vision, the purpose, and mission. Can you walk us through the balance of the system and tell us what those next four steps would be? But of course, the next four steps is when you get busy working on your enterprise. First of those four steps is what we call the job. In short, the very first moment now, we're going to go and apply our dream, our vision, our purpose, and our mission to the actual operating system is to approach our client fulfillment system. That is what we sell, what we deliver, how we do it. And so we're going to go to work on the job in order to design, build, launch, and grow our client fulfillment system. And that client fulfillment system is a series of steps. Step one, step two, step three, step four, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Depending upon the result you're intending to produce, those steps are easily definable. First, I got to do this, then I got to do this, then I got to do this, then I got to do that. Anybody can think through that process. As one begins to think through that process, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do that. One begins to say, then how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do that? And once one begins to look at how I do this, how I do this, how I do this, how I do that, we then go out and look at everybody else in your industry who is providing an alternative option to your central demographic model consumer in order to deliver the product 
that essentially you're saying you're going to now create in your own light, in your own way, to deliver it in your own manner in order to differentiate you from everybody on the planet. So we have to get general knowledge, the general knowledge about the industry. We have to get special knowledge, the special knowledge in accordance with everybody within the industry doing what they do in their own special way in order to then go and design our alternative to all that, to create a significantly greater result in a greater, predictably more potent fashion than anybody else on the planet. Because As always, what we're essentially learning in this job of awakening the new entrepreneur within is that anything we create is in competition with everything that's been created and will be created on the planet. So we're creating a worldwide solution to a worldwide problem, a worldwide frustration that has to be ameliorated if we're ever going to be able to mark our space on that planet. People are going to come to us because they want our solution to that frustration, to that problem, to that condition, to what it is they suffer from, whether it's thought to be suffering or simply frustration or whatever we can call it. Our job is to define a conclusion for that circumstance, that condition. That's the first step in the process of creating our franchise prototype. I call it the job. It's the client fulfillment system. We create the client fulfillment system before we ever become immersed in the client acquisition system. We're not interested in going out and making a promise until we know that we can fulfill the promise that we're about to make. And until we can fulfill the promise that we're about to make, any promise we end up making is an empty promise. And I want to share with the audience how important it is to take this lesson that we're being given today to every level of your franchise enterprise. From franchise development, this all makes perfect sense in the recruitment of new franchisees to your system, to your concept, to your brand. It makes nothing but sense in the support of existing franchisees in protecting the brand and the marketing of your brand and bringing consumers to you that are going to come back again and again, and even at the unit level right down to the storefront in the execution of the day-to-day operations of your company. There's no part of anything I'm hearing here that's anything but a parallel line. Every single part and parcel of your company must be addressed in this manner. Because the outcome of all this, when I say it's your religion, you understand when Merle Johnston taught me saxophone, that was Merle Johnston's religion. When my framing teacher taught me how to frame a house, that was my framing teacher's religion. He taught it, he lived it, he breathed it, he sucked it in every day, every moment of every day. It was who he was. It was who he became. It was the role he played in the world. Understand to the degree your company doesn't reflect that immense passion and commitment, that zealous servitude to this idea that you have formulated into a religion, into a practice of parts and principles. Until that comes alive, believe me, you're never going to be able to awaken that spirit in a franchisee, in a second person, in a kid who's coming to work in your store like Ray Kroc did in those kids who came to work at McDonald's in those early years. You've been listening to Michael E. Gerber, the international legend, author, and thought leader behind the e 
E-Myth series of books, including the E-Myth Revisited, E-Myth Mastery, the E-Myth Manager, the E-Myth Enterprise, the most successful small business in the world, Awakening the Entrepreneur Within, and Beyond the E-Myth. Collectively, Michael E. Gerber's books have sold millions of copies worldwide. In this part one of our two-part interview, we've learned about Michael E. Gerber, the man, and his career, leading to the creation and the history of the E-Myth to the current day. Next week, we'll return with part two and look forward to the future and how you can become part of the evolution of the Eightfold Path as Michael E. Gerber will return with a preview of what's ahead for the E-Myth. This has been some pretty powerful information shared here today, and the best is yet to come when Michael E. Gerber returns next week for part two of this interview. If you haven't already done so, why don't you subscribe to Franchise Today right now and never miss an upcoming episode. You certainly don't want to miss part two with Michael E. Gerber next week. Until then, I'm Stan Friedman wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising, and Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes.